Well, hopefully some of you came tonight prepared to help out tonight. If you were here last week, you know what I'm talking about. If you're not, you don't know what I'm talking about, and that's okay. I'll explain it to you. We started last week uh, going through uh, what we'll do all the way up to Christmas, just going through some different things out of the Gospels, talking about Jesus and his life. And and here's the goal. You know, we don't want to follow Jesus just because we think, well, you know, God says he's the way, and so therefore you know, probably the best thing for me to do. We want to follow him because we love him, because we really, uh, when somebody says you're a follower of Jesus, you're not just following him because you think, well, you know, that's the that's the right way, but, but because you just believe in him, you really trust him, you really love him. And one of the things that I think um, happens as we go through the Gospels is we stir that. And it's not that we're getting new information when we read the Gospels, because we've probably all read them before. But we can go back to the same stories, and God can remind us of things. And, you know, I mentioned that, that book about uh, just the makeup of, of our souls and everything. And one of the things that the author of that book was talking about was our memories and how important how we see what's happened to us is, but also um, how we recollect other things. And he pointed out the fact that throughout Scripture, the command of Scripture many times to Israel and then even beyond was remember, remember, remember. And why does God tell us that? Because we're prone to forget completely or because we're prone to maybe forget the meaning and the power and the, the reality of the truths that we hold to. And so it's not that you guys are going to forget about Jesus. I don't think that happens to anybody that's a Christian that you're like, you know, in between services, I forgot about him and I don't remember who he is. Could you remind me? It's we want to be reminded of, of just that, that affection and that love, and that reality of who he is in our life. So last week, I started off just going through a few things uh, that stand out to me and a couple of stories out of the Gospels, just to kind of give you all an idea. So if you weren't here last week, you're off the hook, okay? But if, as we go through, something stands out to you and you go, well, here's something I want to share, that's okay too. So um, what I want to do to start off with, I have some because, you know, anytime... One of the things I, I always want to happen on Wednesday night is for us to have interaction because it's important that, um, uh, you know, one of the things that, that in the body of Christ we want is not just to hear truth, but also to be a part of that process of, of it. And so, you know, Wednesday night's a good opportunity for that because it's a little more, uh, it's a different environment. So it's, it's where we have interaction with that. So if you have something tonight, um, I'd like to start off with what you've got, so I don't take anything that you have uh, in what I share. So who's got something that you want to start us off? Now, what we will need to do is is give you the microphone, or I'll hold it for you, because if, if not, there'll be these big gaps on the recording, and you'll be, I'll be talking, and then there'll be this long time where somebody's listening is going, I can hear something in the background, but I don't know what it is. You got some? Oh, Okay. 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 Um, what we're doing is we're taking anything from the Gospels. Uh, so that's a good point. I'll need to clarify that for you if you're going to participate. Uh, like, for instance, last week I, I took the story out of uh, Matthew 8 where uh, Jesus comes to Peter's house and he heals his mother-in-law and then he heals all the sick. And, and you know, when, what stands out to me about that is Jesus' compassion for people. He just loved people. 
you know, and he's ministering to those people and he's given them uh, from who he is. And even his healing of, of Peter's mother-in-law, she didn't even ask, but at least we don't have a record of her asking, but he healed her. And uh, also we talked about the leper that came to Jesus and how uh, he said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me whole. And Jesus said, I'm willing. And so he healed him. So those type of things that, stand, that, that, that point to something about who Jesus is, that point to something about who he is, or you could, you could talk about what he said, okay? So what he said, you know, teaching-wise, like I pointed out some things in, in the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, and, and how different Jesus was teaching from what they had learned and how he wasn't afraid to challenge the status quo because he's about truth. So those are the kind of things... Uh, does anybody have any questions about that? Because I do want to make sure we're clear, because if you weren't here, uh, it would be tough maybe to figure out what we're doing. Any questions? Because if there's more clarity needed, then I'll be happy to give it to you. Does that make sense? Okay. I saw your hand back there waving at me. Did you have one to share or a question? Okay. Well, let me bring you the mic. You know, you could come up closer, and then I wouldn't have to come all the way back here with the mic. Okay, I had, was looking at um, when Jesus went in the synagogue to heal the, um, it's, hold on my notes. It's when he goes into the synagogue and he says to the, the Pharisees, you know, is it, is, it good, is it lawful to heal or do good on the Sabbath? And there in, in the scripture it says that he looked at, on them with anger. And when I looked at that, I was like, took the moment to teach and have compassion, show compassion. The same thing on the cross when he, uh, you know, says, Father, um, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then there was one more. um, When he ran the, he with, Right. You know, he did that, but he also took the moment to teach, and, you know, his heart ached. So he had compassion, and it's just, that's what I was got out of it. Okay. So let's talk about that. What What do you think in that story where he... Uh, confronted the Pharisees about whether it was lawful to do good on the Sabbath, uh, to save life, to destroy it. Um, what do you think bothered him about that scenario? What do you think he was he was getting to with with what was going on with their heart? Because he he was always having these exchanges with the Pharisees because they were so contrary to everything that he stood for. So, what is it about that that really bothered him? Okay, they're being religious but not righteous. Okay, when we say when, when we're using the term religious, what do we mean? Let's 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 flesh that out a little more. Just holding to traditions, uh, legalism. Okay, hypocrisy. Okay, uh, pretend. You know, they pretend to be righteous when really in their hearts were in the wrong place. Okay, so what we need to realize too, the law didn't clarify exactly every little thing that you had to do on the Sabbath or couldn't do on the Sabbath. 
He said, don't work, right? So uh, for Jesus to come into the synagogue and heal somebody, did the law forbid that? Because Jesus did obey the law, didn't he? So, so let's make sure we're not, we don't think wrongly about what he did. He didn't come in and disobey the law. He came in and did something that was right and good and something that God led him to do because he said, I'd never do anything except what my father would do. And they were mad because it didn't fit with their thinking. And see, they had strapped on all these extra things. And that's where, that's where we get off kelter sometimes in our, in our way of seeing things is when we strap on extra things and then we make the extra things equal to the command. And, and we should never make our extra things equal to the command. And that's what he did. That's what they were doing. So whoever he was talking to, they didn't like the idea that he would heal on the Sabbath. Now, where the idea that healing was equated with work, I don't know. I mean, none of those guys did that. They couldn't heal anybody, so I don't know how they decided, well, when Jesus does it, that's equal to work. I'm not sure where that comes from. But they were mad about it. Now, really, when we take the whole of the Gospels in, we know part of it was jealousy. Part of it was their jealousy because he was getting the attention that they weren't. But but Jesus, and and this is a good point that, that Portia pointed out, because this is something we don't do very well. If we get mad at somebody about something, it's rarely righteous anger. Okay? Because that's really hard for us. Because what we're thinking about mostly when we get mad is how it affects us. Okay, for Jesus, when he was upset about it, why was he upset about it? Because they were insulting him? Because they weren't believing in him? Part of it was that, but don't you think part of it was because they were leading people astray? They were leading people down the wrong path, and that bothered him. But he still, as Portia pointed out, took the time to teach, took the time to explain, took the time to, you know, not just do something, but make sure they understood why. So that's good. And, and in the, on the cross, you know, again, not something that we would generally be able to do without his grace working in our lives. But while people were killing him, he said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't understand. And, and that's huge. And that tells us something about our Savior. That tells us something about him that we should not only love, but we should also be looking to emulate, right? Find a way to go, okay, I want to be like you about this kind of stuff. And that's a challenge. It's a big challenge. All right, anybody else? Something that stands out to you? Something that you brought with you that you want to throw out for the rest? Um, Matthew, well, what is this reference? I'll tell you in a minute. In case you said that I had to do ESV, I brought it. <laughs> Matthew, oh, I'm reading from the Passion Translation. This is Matthew eleven twenty-five through 28. Then Jesus exclaimed, Father, thank you, for you are Lord, the supreme ruler over heaven and earth. And you have hidden the great revelation of your authority from those who are proud and wise in their own eyes. Instead, you have shared it with these who humble themselves. Yes, Father, your plan delights your heart as you've chosen this way to extend your kingdom by giving it to those who have become like trusting children. You've entrusted me with all that you are and all that you have. 
No one fully and intimately knows the Son except the Father, and no one fully and intimately knows the Father except the Son. But the Son is able to unveil the Father to anyone he chooses. Are you weary, carrying a heavy burden? Then come to me. I will refresh your life, for I am your oasis. Simply join your life with mine. Learn my ways, and you'll discover that I'm gentle, humble, easy to please. You will find refreshment and rest in me. For all that I require of you will be pleasant and easy to bear. And what that stood out to me about that, so often we all have memorized that scripture, come to me, all you who are weary and heaven laden, um, early in our Christian life it seems like. But what stood out to me when I was reading that is that it comes with a revelation and an unveiling of Jesus. I never really put that together before. So that when, when I am not, when I am weary and heavy laden, I'm not seeing him. Something that I'm not seeing about him. Right? Yes, I do. Matthew thirteen forty four. This was a uh, <clears throat> conversation around the breakfast table one morning because it, 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 it was good. I was like, wow, that's good. I never saw that before. <clears throat> Heaven's kingdom, heaven's kingdom realm can be illustrated like this. A person discovered that there was hidden treasure in a field. Upon finding it, he hid it again. Because of uncovering such treasure, he was overjoyed and sold all that he possessed to buy the entire field just so he could have the treasure. Well, <clears throat> when I was pondering that, I was like, so he found this treasure and he hid it again. Why did he hide it again? I pondered that for a while and brought it to the breakfast table and me and Dawn and Portia were talking and and um, I started thinking about, she says, Dawn said, well, he's protecting the treasure and I'm like, yeah, I see that. He wants to make sure that he, and then I got to thinking, that's it. He wanted to make sure he purchased it correctly because the treasure, and I've read over the years, different commentaries say it can be Jesus, but it can be us. And I took it, when I read it, it's us. We're the treasure that's buried. And that Jesus, when he found us, he's like, I'm God. I made the rules, but I'm not going to break the rules. So I'm going to purchase you the way it should be done. And so I, he buried again, bought the whole field. He shed his blood to purchase the whole field. Now we are his. So. That made me, when I was pondering that, it was like it, it made me trust him even more because it's like really and truly he will not break his word. You know, he could. He's got people all the time make the laws and then break them, right? He doesn't. All right. And, and as far as the, the first scripture, too, um, you know, I think that is a, a real powerful scripture to spend some time with, you know, that Jesus invites us to come to him and learn of him and really learn of who he is. And when he says, I'm, I'm meek or lowly in heart, that's really contrary to how people tend to think about God. And, and that's who Jesus was. He was a servant. He came to serve. And so he set an example for us. He didn't just tell us to do something. He did it himself. All right. Brent? I thought I was in um, youth tonight, so I didn't specifically prepare for this, but at part of the message that I had for the, the study that I had prepared, it was about atheism and um, 
it, uh, part of it really sticks out because it's it's talking about Jesus and it's in John three, uh, starting at verse three through verse sixteen, uh, which everybody knows the end of that. But the story is of Nicodemus and um, and the the message that the we were talking about in youth was atheism and they were drawing some parallels between an atheist and Nicodemus because uh, realistically Nicodemus came without a real passion or real understanding of, of a living God because um, at that point they would have been more focused on the rules. So um, I'm going to read it out of the message, but if you think about Nicodemus almost as an atheist instead of as a, a Pharisee, it kind of changes it a little bit and then I'll, I'll tell you why it stood out. So I'm going to start in, in uh, verse 3. Jesus said, you're absolutely right. Take it from me. Unless a person is born from above, it's not possible to see what I'm pointing to, to God's kingdom. How can anyone, said Nicodemus, be born who has already been born and grown up? You can't reenter your mother's womb and be born again. What are you saying from this, with this born from above talk? Jesus said, you're not listening. Let me say it again. Unless a person submits to this original creation the wind hovering over the water creation, the invisible moving the visible, a baptism into new life, it's not possible to enter God's kingdom. When you look at a baby, it's just that, a body that you can look at and touch. But the person who takes shape within is formed by something you can't see and touch, the spirit, and becomes a living spirit. So don't be so surprised when I tell you that you have to be born from above, out of this world, so to speak. You know well enough how the wind blows this way and that. You hear it rustling through the trees, but you have no idea where it comes from or where it's headed next. That's the way it is with everyone born from above by the wind of God, the Spirit of God. Nicodemus asked, What do you mean by this? How does that happen? Jesus said, You're a respected teacher of Israel, and you don't know these basics? Listen carefully. I'm speaking sober truth to you. I speak only out of what I know by experience. I give witness only to what I have seen with my own eyes. There's nothing secondhand here, no hearsay. Yet instead of facing the evidence and accepting it, you procrastinate with questions. If I tell you things that are as plain as the hand before your face, and you don't believe me, what use is there in telling you of things that you can't see, the things of God? No one has ever gone into the presence of God except the one... Actually, I'm going to stop there because that's kind of the end of what I was thinking of. What really stuck out to me is that Nicodemus was a respected scholar of the Israel Israelite community at the time. And he'd spent a lot of time studying God and studying the way that God interacted with the Israelites. And yet the examples that Jesus used, he, he's so patient and not condescending. And he talks to Nicodemus, not as a, you know, somebody who's scorning him or somebody who's saying that he's, you know, he, he should know this stuff, but he uses such simple examples from nature and simple examples that are very relatable and it's just really neat to see how Jesus took something so complicated that Nicodemus wanted to make so complicated and give it back to him so simply and so pure that, you know, out of that came John 3.16, which is one of the, you know, the most recognized books of the or you know, verses of the Bible. And I just thought it was neat to see Jesus use such natural and such obvious stuff in a way that Nicodemus probably had never seen and just the way that he could communicate right to the heart without using a lot of extra explanations and making things so complicated. He just kind of made it really simple and and just spoke right to him. And, you know, one of the things that I see as I go through the Gospels and Jesus is teaching people is the ones that really seek 
he makes it really plain to them. The ones who are skeptical and 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 he just kind of leaves it out there and lets them do what they want with it. Uh, you know, kind of like you said, don't throw your your pearls before swine. Um, you know, he he will make everything clear to the person who seeks, who wants to find. He will make it clear. And even Nicodemus may have not understood that, but it seems from the rest of Nicodemus's story that he was really a true seeker. That he was really seeking truth. And and I'm thankful for him because we got a really great passage because he was asking questions. And and like Grant said, that's one of the most quoted verses of the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So uh, it's pretty neat how Jesus teaches. And, and here's the thing to remember, too, is we're, we're talking about these different things. Jesus is still that teacher. So in our lives, you know, when we need clarity, when we need understanding, he's patient. He's wanting to, to clarify and simplify the truth for us. So he doesn't leave us in the dark. He wants us to experience light. All right. Anybody else got one? I was going to wait and do mine next week, but something just came to my mind. <clears throat> I've been used, I've been reading the book of John a lot in the last six months, and that's never been really my favorite gospel, but it's becoming one of my favorite gospels. <laughs> but as I was reading it, I cannot give you the, the reference right now because I didn't prepare to do this, but <clears throat> there's two or three times during it, you know, John John wrote it, and he would when he referred to himself in that gospel, he would say, the one that Jesus loved. <clears throat> and I kept reading that and hearing that, and I was just pondering it and thinking about it. And I thought, so he so he knew he was loved of Jesus. He knew it. So, and it does say in the Bible that they'll know we're Christians by his love. So I thought, okay, God, help help people around me know that I love them. Just like, G, just like John knew that Jesus loved him because of things he did, things he said, the way he acted. You know, and that's what we should, we should, people should know we love them. You know, if you read John's epistles, um, one of the things he talks about the most is love. And, and tradition tells us that even when he was an old, old man, because he lived longer than any of the other uh, apostles, that he was a pastor or a leader at the Church of Ephesus, and he would be taken in and carried in when he couldn't even be, when he couldn't walk. And that was his, his one thing he would constantly say, his little children love one another. And you almost get the impression when you read John that he thought he was Jesus' favorite, don't you? I mean, it's almost like he says it like that, like, you know, the one he loved, like he loves me more than he loves you. But, uh, you know, that that's how Jesus, I'm sure, made people feel. So that's a neat thing, too. Anybody else got something? Jerry? Sort of on the same line uh, uh, about Peter. Uh, Peter's always, I always think of him as like a commander or something, you know, or, you know, just a. Anyhow, uh, and uh, in Mark 8, uh, 29, starting in 29, uh, you know, he, he asked, and he's like pulling at Peter, you know, or pulling at the disciples, I guess, you know, and Peter answered him. You know, who do you think I am? And uh, Peter answers, you are the Christ. And that's like he's getting Peter to really think about the whole thing. You know, it's like he's, you know, he's pulling an answer out of him and, you know, but getting Peter to actually do the, 
you know the the, the work there and uh, and uh, then he goes on and starts teaching about you know how he's going to be suffering and uh, be uh, you know uh, killed and three days rise again and and you know the same Peter that's you know uh, comes through with you know nah, that ain't going to happen you know and uh, uh, and uh, and he turns to Peter and says, "You get behind me, Satan!" Now, you know that's not like literal, you know, but I, it's had to put Peter, you know, right down, you know. But he had a relationship with him where he could do that, and uh, and and you know, just switch gears like that, and and uh, and and I don't think it put off Peter a whole lot, you know, you know, not for very long, anyhow. So. And, uh, you know, and then he uh, goes on and, uh, you know, he's talking to the whole crowd, you know, but Peter too, you know, and he says, if anybody would come after me, he's going to have to take up their cross and, uh, and follow me. And uh, so, you know, he turns that whole thing into a, into a teaching uh, time, so. And, you know, one thing, if you were around Jesus, you were always going to get the truth, right? And, and so, yeah, you're always going to get the truth. And we don't always do that with people because we're afraid to hurt their feelings. We're afraid of, you know, how they'll take it. And, you know, this is an example. It's pretty amazing when you think about, you know, Peter, one minute he's, you're the Christ. And the next minute he's saying, well, no, you're not going to do that. What you just said you're going to do. If he'd have thought about that, that wouldn't have made a whole lot of sense, would it? But, you know, to be called by Jesus, you know, Satan and, and like that wasn't he wasn't literally Satan, obviously. But but he's saying, look, you're you're thinking like him. You're thinking like he would think uh, those aren't the things that that God wants. That's what you want. And uh, so that is part of our walk with him is denying ourselves and wanting his will, wanting his way, just like he wanted the father's will, the father's way. All right. Anybody else? Got one that comes to mind, or if not, I'll share something I've got. All right. One of the things I was thinking about uh, this week as I was going through some different things uh, was just how Jesus um, interacted with people. And and we've talked about that in all these things to a degree. But I was thinking specifically, you know, when, when he showed up uh, at the beginning of his ministry, he read out of the book of Isaiah, and, and part of what he says was that he came to set captives free. And so I was thinking about, you know, it's, it's one, the, the miracles that he did always amaze me. I mean, that, that I, I find those so fascinating, so amazing. And, but yet there was, there was a deeper need in man that he always realized was there too. And that was the healing of the soul, the healing of the heart, the healing of our sin, what our sin had done to us. And, and I was thinking of a couple of different passages, um, uh, one of them, the, the woman at the uh, well, when he was there, uh, let me read you, for time's sake, I won't read all of it, but let me read you just a little bit of that. In John chapter 4, I'm going to start in verse 6. Uh, it says, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, wearied as he uh, was from his journey, was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Now, it's important to note, Jesus was tired. His physical body was tired, but yet he always still had what he needed to minister to people. 
So it says, a woman from Samaria came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Now, do you think Jesus really was after the drink? Or you think this was just his way of opening the door? Which we can learn from that. Sometimes we need to look for ways to open the door. So he looked for a really natural thing to open the door. This woman was obviously shocked by that. So the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, uh, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? And then John clarifies for us. He says, For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And when he says they have no dealings, he means they wouldn't have asked for a drink. They wouldn't have asked for anything from them. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, I'll I'll summarize some of the rest of this. Um, In fact, let me just go jump down to verse 13 and read uh, more of what he said because it kind of goes to what he's doing for here. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So then she says, give me this water. And then Jesus says, go call your husband. Now, what did her husband have to do with anything? Why do you think he did that? Because what was she going about? What was she going to have to respond to with that? Um, I don't have a husband. And then Jesus exposes her heart, right? He says, you're right when you say that. And then he lays out her life in front of her. Now, do you think Jesus did that to embarrass her, to humiliate her? No, but what was he teaching her about? He was teaching her about living water, right? So he knew the need of her soul. He knew you're trying to find what? Satisfaction somewhere else. And what you need is what I've got. You need life. I've got life. I've got the real thing. You're searching in all the wrong places. And that's why this is the fifth guy. Because you know what we tend to think when we're on the wrong track? That more of whatever we're pursuing is the thing that we need. And this lady obviously thought, I'm going to find it in a relationship. And the other four haven't worked, so I'm just going to keep going through people until I find one. Now, is that ever going to work for her? No. Why? Because the problem is in her, right? So Jesus is saying, look, I want to get to the heart issue here. And so uh, he ministers to the need of her soul. He really goes to the heart issue. And, And that's what he does with us. That's all. When he's reaching out to us, he's always looking for whatever is the real need of our hearts. Another example that stood out to me in how Jesus ministers to people and what he was what he would do for people uh, it was the story in john chapter 8 in john chapter 8 uh, let me get to it here in verse 1 it says but jesus went to the mount of olives early in the morning he came again to the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them so you get the picture a lot of people gathered around him and he's teaching them And the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst. They said to him, teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law of Moses, in the law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. What do you say? And John adds this, they said to test him 
that they might have some charge to bring against him. So Jesus knows the motive. Jesus is put in a situation. Apparently, there was no question whether the woman was guilty, right? She doesn't even argue that. No question that she's guilty. And they were correct about the law, weren't they? That was what the law commanded. So now you're Jesus. What do you do with this? Now, it would have been very easy for him to say, you're right, stoner. But does he do that? He doesn't do that. Why do you think he doesn't do that? Because what's he after? What, what does he want? If he, if he was looking to judge mankind and condemn mankind, he wouldn't have come. He could have just judged us and condemned us. But what is he always after? He's after restoring us, right? He, he wants to reach the person. He wants to get to the person. So Jesus wisely doesn't even really respond because uh, it says here uh, that Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. I wish we knew what he wrote. I really wish we knew what he wrote because he just began to write in the dirt. And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her. So he didn't say, don't honor the law of Moses. But he said, all right, whoever is without sin, go ahead, throw the stone. Now, everybody knows their own heart, whether they want to admit it to other people or not. We know what goes on in our own heart. And so, any of us ever think we're without sin? Not if we're honest. So this group of people, Jesus didn't didn't really confront them with anything about themselves. He just let them think about it. In verse 8, he once again, he bent down and wrote on the ground. Some people think he might have been writing something that was pricking their consciences. I don't know. Verse 9, but when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. So Jesus stood up and said to her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And he said to her, neither do I condemn you. Now, if he would have gone by what he said, he could have thrown the first stone, couldn't he? Because he was in that position. If he wanted to do that, he could have done that. But he said, neither do I condemn you. From now on, sin no more. So what was he doing for her? He wasn't just getting her out of the punishment, was he? And see, that's the thing with Jesus. When he wants to redeem us, when he wants to reach our hearts, he's not just trying to get us out of our trouble. He's wanting to get to the heart issue here, right? So he he wants to set her free from the judgment, but he also wants to set her free from the sin that got her there. And so he tells her, don't sin anymore. And what do you think this lady did with that? I'd be willing to bet she left her sin. After that experience and that compassion and that mercy and that escape of judgment, I'd be willing to bet that, that she didn't go back to that sin. So that's Jesus. Once again, he's reaching out into somebody's life and he's getting to the heart issue. He's getting to what's really going on inside of us. Now, there's another passage, and I'll just read you this last one uh, in Luke chapter 7. Make sure I got this right. 
have I the wrong one? Okay, verse 36 of Luke 7. It says, One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him, and he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at table. And behold, a woman of the city, who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing before him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair, the hair of her head, and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would have known who or what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus answered and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, Say it, teacher. A certain money lender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. And when they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now which of them will love him more? And Simon answered, The one, I suppose, who he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, You have judged rightly. Then he turned to the woman, uh, toward the, turned toward the woman, and said to Simon, "Do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but this from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment." Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much. But he is forgiven little, loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. And those who are at the table with him began to say among themselves, who is this that even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Now, this woman came to Jesus, and, and you know, obviously the story gives us a very vivid picture of what she's doing. But the thing that Jesus saw that none of them saw was what she wanted. Did you catch what she was after? You know, she wasn't just after cleaning his feet. What did she want from him? She wanted forgiveness. So she was aware of her sin. She was aware of the weight of her sin. They were all aware of her sin. But they weren't interested in forgiveness. They were interested in getting her out of there. She was an inconvenience. She was somebody that they were uncomfortable with. Jesus, however, was interested in what? Giving her what she was after, forgiveness. And so when he got done with his lesson, which goes back to what Portia was saying that he was teaching, he, he taught a lesson to everybody around him, but then he stopped all of that and he looked right at her and said, your sins are forgiven. And then he said, your faith has saved you. Uh, what do you think? Why do you think he brought faith into that? What did she believe? What do you think she believed? You're the one that, that I need to forgive me. She saw something about Jesus that told her, if you'll forgive me, I think I'll be forgiven. Just like the woman with the issue of blood, you know, if I can touch you, I think I'll be healed. And so she knew if he forgives me, I'll really be forgiven. Not, not like the rest of us, you know, where we could come and somebody could say, can you forgive me? Well, she really believed if he forgives me, I'll be forgiven. And, and the lesson there is that I think Jesus, when people get who he is, he really honors that faith. He really honors that faith when people reach out to him because they see him, because they really get it. 
And so every one of these people in these three examples that, that came to my mind, they're all people who needed something that was inside, you know, something deeper. Not Jesus healed people on the outside, too, but there was something deeper they needed. And Jesus took the time to reach their souls and to actually give them what they really needed. Because sometimes, you know, we're not really aware of what we really need. We just are aware of what we think we need, right? I just need my circumstances to change. I just need this to happen. And, and Jesus is certainly a changer of circumstances, but more than anything, he reaches the, the depths of our heart. He really cares about us as people. And so he's big picture. He's always big picture. You know what? Woman at the well, you don't just need water. You don't just need bread. You don't need to be chasing after something with guy. You need living water. The woman didn't need to just be let out of her circumstance so that she could not be stoned. She needed to leave her life of sin. And by forgiving her, he gave her that opening to leave it. And so all those stories point something out to me about him. And and as we said earlier, he's still in the same business. He's still doing the same things. So whatever the deepest need of your heart is, my heart, he's after that. He's really after that. He's really wanting to reach right down into the depths of our soul and get that, what we really need. And for all of us, that could be different things. could be very different things. We might still be chasing after something that he's like, you know what? That's not going to take care of you. It's not going to fulfill you. We might be dealing with a load of guilt about something in our past, and he's saying, look, when I forgive you, you're really forgiven. You can really be free. And so whatever it is, he's the Savior, and he just wants us to get that he's the Savior. He's what I need. He's what you need. Amen? Anybody think of anything real quick you want to hit on before we go? If not, we've got more opportunities coming, so you got some time to think about it between now and next Wednesday night. And as I said, just keep going through the Gospels. It's amazing when you're looking. When you, when you go through a story that you've read a hundred times, takes on a different meaning when you go, okay, what's this telling me about Jesus? Because he's the one you, you love. He's the one you serve. And, and, and all these things, and I appreciate all the things that everybody's pointed out, they give us pictures of who he is. They give us a glimpse into who he is. And those kind of things stir our affections for him too. Make us want to serve him, want to walk with him, uh, want to be his follower. Amen? All right. You can go ahead and shut off the recording, Corey. Um, and-